0: This podcast is brought to you by LMGPR, Silicon Valley PR that reaches the world. The right story, the right audience equals real business results. Learn more about how we can help you by visiting us at lmgpr.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, ways to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here, means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This podcast is brought to you by LMGPR, Silicon Valley PR that reaches the world. The right story, the right audience equals real business results. Learn more about how we can help you by visiting us at lmgpr.com. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Chris Hansen. He's the head, uh, CEO of a company called Aromix, A-R-O-M-Y-X.com. So, Chris, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah, I'm glad to talk to you. It looked, uh, from the description of the company, it looks really interesting. So, if uh, if you wouldn't mind telling listeners, what's the premise of Aromix? What do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: you know, uh, a word we are digitizing, smell, and taste. There is, you know, back in the 80s, we started applying technology to our sense of vision. We don't think anything about editing a video and putting it on YouTube now. The same in the 80s and 90s with speech and auditory. Now you can kind of call your your utility or your cable provider and make your way through the, uh, you know, the voice tree. And even with Tuck, you're starting to see more and more haptic data available. And that's the kind of sensory data that gets measured, digitized, indexed, archived on a platform like Google, for example. Taste and smell, you'll you'll look for a long time on Google to find taste or smell data. And that's because it has never been measurable before. You can measure the chemicals in Coca-Cola using gas chromatography or mass spectrometry but that doesn't tell you anything about what it smells or tastes like. So Aromix has the first commercially viable way to measure taste and smell. And um, once you can measure a phenomenon, then you can digitize it, you can store it, you can archive it, you can apply AI to that data.
0: Hmm. So what do you hope to do with uh, taste and smell? Like, Where do you see that'll it be useful?
1: We are, entering the market with quality control applications. So does A smell like B at its simplest? Uh, That could be a big vat of Old Spice. Uh, Right now when Procter & Gamble manufactures Old Spice, there are people involved using their sense of smell. And so this is a way where we could uh, augment the humans with a cheap sensor technology that gives you uh, new capabilities. The human can generally say within reason, yeah, A smells like B or A doesn't smell like B. But they can't tell you, OK, how do I make B smell like A now? How do I do remediation? And uh, also with humans, their experience stays inside the human. so when the uh professional nose or the professional winemaker retires he takes all he or she takes all of uh, his or her data w- with them with this technology we're uh, essentially giving customers a nose and tongue in a box a little plastic biosensor that has mm-hmm. the same biochemical stack that the nose and tongue have but now that we've cloned it into a biosensor you can see what the signals are we're, we're showing the same signals that the nose and tongue create when they encounter coca-cola or chanel number no. five but it's outside of your head now so you can uh, attach a digital readout to it and you can archive the data
0: so what them um, would this be used to let's say sense if food is spoiled you know an electronic nose could do that or you know what are some of the the use cases for this kind of stuff?
1: Um, We aren't um, in the electronic nose business. We're in the actual nose business. So we took the DNA for 402 olfactory receptors from the human nose. Those are the receptors that let us smell and taste the world, more than a billion chemicals and down to truly stunning sensitivities, sometimes We smelled down to parts per trillion, and we cloned those 402 olfactory receptors into a biosensor. So, we aren't an artificial nose. We are the actual nose in a piece of plastic that you can carry around. It's a one-time-use disposable biosensor with essentially the biochemical stack from the human nose and tongue in it. Hmm. I just wanted to make that distinction. There are a lot of yeah, chemical detection technologies, surface plasmon resonance. Uh, there's a pigment-based one out of uh, David Suslick's lab. There are there are lots of chemical detectors that have been uh, that have not really been very promising. Uh, so we thought we all carry around this exquisite. Wideband chemical detector in our head. It's the nose and tongue. It's been developed over millions of years. Why not use that? Ten years ago, you couldn't have done this, but now uh, the biotechnology environment has raced ahead so much that we were able to do this, although it was difficult. Um, So just wanted to make that distinction. Now, what on earth do you do with a nose that you can carry around with you? well, uh, we are using it for quality control and yield improvements in manufacturing of food and beverages, consumer packaged goods, uh, ingredient chemicals um, and um even in the uh, pharmaceutical uh, vertical. there are all many, many uh, instances where um uh, the sense of smell can. Uh, uh, can be used in quality control, and uh, so th- that's how we're first applying it, and it's one of the simpler applications for us. So, if you imagine, right. you know, uh, testing a batch of Pepsi or Molson beer, and uh, and comparing that to a standard. So, um,
0: are you able to make the uh, the nose? so simple and so cheap that it could be put on let's say a single uh you know a, an individual beer let's say or an individual um you know item for sale in the grocery store could it be where it could be on every product like that and it would tell you the freshness based on like the volatilized chemicals that are in the uh you know the volatilized molecules that are in the in the, the food
1: uh we're more focused on enterprise and industrial applications and we are really going after consumer facing applications yet we are looking at how pepsi and dow chemical and BASF and uh, other companies would use this in their manufacturing to make sure that the menthol for example that BASF manufactures in in the current batch compares correctly to their kind of golden batch baseline And then all the way through the supply chain to make sure that when BASF delivers a tanker full of menthol to the final customer, it still smells like it's supposed to smell. Uh, So it's those kind of quality control supply chain uh, applications for large corporations that we're looking at. And um, one very interesting uh, aspect of that is in improving yields for uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing, uh, especially in biologic drugs. That, biologics are extremely difficult to manufacture with very low yields. And we think this uh, technology has promised to uh, help really dramatically increase, increase the yields and the success rate. Uh, for pharma companies in manufacturing biologic drugs. And w- one of our corporate partners is a large pharmaceutical company.
0: Okay. Um, so would this be incorporated as an early feedback system, maybe as you're uh, producing some kind of biological that uh, if certain compounds are volatilized and the nose detects them that it would, it would uh, change the process or stop the process or yeah. cause an alert? Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That
0: is essentially
1: it. Um, Instead of waiting, so one of the drugs we are looking at takes a cycle of 25 days. And we can see on the first day or the second day if the batch is starting to vary from the ideal golden batch standard. Instead of waiting to day 25 and then seeing what turns up, so we think we can catch uh, variants early and and provide information so that you can do something about it, so that you can attempt to get the batch back on track, and um, that could have a tremendous uh, potential for the pharmaceutical industry, and you know in general for quality control in. In food and beverage and consumer packaged goods, um, often when uh, a batch is going bad, um, you have a human there smelling or tasting it, and they're really their only option if it goes, if it doesn't taste or smell right, is to throw it out. Mm. And it's surprising, that in America, there're vast, vast amounts of product that are just thrown out. Because they're varying from the uh ideal and uh from the brand ideal <clears throat> you know they don't taste or smell right, and uh they get they just get thrown out with this technology there's a the potential for um uh, very fine process control and for remediation so when your batch of perfume starts to smell like old socks, you can mm. do Thing about it you can know okay old sock smell is this receptor something is hitting that receptor let's throw in a liter of a particular ingredient that has a higher affinity for that receptor that will block that malodor because it'll
0: mm. keep
1: that receptor from being available um, so why so we, um
0: we think what's the state of the art now i mean are, are- I would think companies would have sensors for this kind of stuff. Is it that they don't sense it at all, or that they sense it but they don't know how to fix it once the smell is off, let's say?
1: Uh, industry uses humans as sensors. Uh, it's weird. And you know, humans have a lot of drawbacks. For one thing, they're very expensive, so there's a the payroll cost. But they give unreproducible results, uh, very subjective results. Uh, people at the at the nose and tongue level people tend to generate the same signals but by the time those signals get up to the brain where the human can report on them can form a perception and then put that perception into words and write down the words uh you get very subjective results and uh and there are other aspects like You know, when the human retires, you lose all of that experience and data. So humans are one way, current state-of-the-art does it in industry, and the other is to attempt to use analytical chemistry techniques, such as mass spectrometry, gas chromatography. And as I said, those analytical chemistry techniques do not tell you anything about what something smells or tastes like. They... They have no connection to human sensory experience. So what we're trying to do is meld both the science of, you know, the science and reproducibility of mass spec with the human sensory experience of the actual human.
0: Yeah, why would this still be done by people and not by uh, sensors? Is, it, is, is sensing, is it primitive or why would this happen? No, uh,
1: what you've seen advertised as electronic noses or artificial noses, are not noses they have nothing to do with human sensory experience they cannot tell you what something smells or tastes like it's impossible they they have no way to do that they tell you what chemicals are in a substance so if you want to know in uh coca-cola or coke zero or chanel number five what are the chemicals and and generally what are the amounts mass spec will do the job but it won't tell you what Chanel number five smells like.
0: Well, how do you yeah? How do you capture that then? How do you capture what something smells like? What, like, so, what is what is someone experiencing so, uh, when they smell something? Right. Uh, a smell or a taste is essentially
1: a pattern of receptor activity. So the receptors in your nose and tongue encounter Coca Cola, and they some of them don't react at all. They stay turned off. Some of them turn on, and of those, some of those react really strongly, some some not as strongly. Uh, some over you know a space of three minutes, some over the space of an hour. But there's a pattern of receptor activity in the nose and tongue uh, when encountering Coca-Cola that forms a set of biochemical signals that then go on up to the brain and eventually become the perception of Coca-Cola. We're measuring the. We're measuring those olfactory receptor responses. We're measuring the patterns. And that is what a taste or a smell is. So if you think about it, we kind of know anecdotally that Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola have, over the years, changed their recipes. Something gets too expensive or an ingredient gets um, regulated out of use or, uh, for whatever reason, they have to change the recipe And it's usually been a single element that they would change out a single ingredient. And they do that like all food and beverage and all flavor and fragrance is done. They do it by trial and error. So they have a bunch of people that know what Coca-Cola is supposed to taste like, and they get together with their chemists and they make an educated guess about what ingredient to swap in and what proportions. And then they taste it over and over and over again and keep iterating until they finally get what they think is the ideal Coca-Cola flavor.
0: Right.
1: Uh, Mm. So we can show you, we can go to the store and measure, we can buy Coca-Cola and measure it with the essence chip. And then uh, we have a feature in our software called Magic Search. You can hit the Magic Search button and it will show you every conceivable every possible recipe for Coca-Cola flavor in the world, because again, Coca-Cola flavor is a receptor pattern. If you get that same pattern of receptor activity with a different recipe, it doesn't matter. It's still Coca-Cola flavor. Hmm, And so we can show you, uh, okay, here are the uh, hundred ways to get to exact Coca-Cola flavor. Ideally, some are going to be healthier. Uh, Mm. Cola beverages, especially, are not not especially healthy for you. Uh, So, you can imagine one recipe may get you that same receptor activity pattern using chamomile and and pine nuts. Uh, But other receptor uh, other recipes will be cheaper.
0: And ideally,
1: you help. You help Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola find a recipe that is both cheaper and healthier. What we're doing is we're able to, the technology is getting strong enough that you can deconstruct smells and tastes, flavors and fragrances. And um, uh, that's a really exciting prospect. It means that trial and error for these industries could finally give way to computation. Uh, Steve Jurvetson gives a talk where he talks about industries that have gone from trial and error to being computable. Aerospace, automotive have done that, he says, and he says that life science and biotechnology are are in the process. We think uh, this technology will allow industries that work with uh, a taste or a smell, so food and beverage, consumer packaged goods, Chemicals uh, to move away from trial and error, which is how flavor and fragrance has always been done, to uh, to
0: computability. Interesting. Okay, I didn't realize um, it's not a one to one ratio. You know, if I <clears throat> smell something, it's not just because there's this one particular chemical that you know hits my nose. It's a whole pattern, but not even a, <clears throat> it, it's <laughs> the resultant pattern, I guess, in my brain of what. The one or two or three or five hundred different chemicals I'm sensing due to my brain—is that what you're saying? Smell is—it's like redefining smell. Uh, yeah,
1: it's. Uh, uh, oh, the word is escaping me, but it—you know—there are four hundred two receptors, but we can smell over a billion chemicals. So it has to be uh, mm, okay. It, you know, it, ha- it has to be that the receptors are interacting. So it's like four yeah, that's really 400
0: factorial. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't realize that. One, one thing I've always wondered is, um, I mean, other aspects of smell, it's probably, I mean, it's really complicated. Like, if you, have you ever wondered, what is it like to be a dog or a bloodhound? You know, not only would you oh, smell think... maybe more things, but there would be a directionality to the smell maybe in a gradient. And, you know, I don't know, if it was, have you ever wondered something like that? And is there what you're doing that? You know, will you be able to uh, create yeah. something like that? Yeah. Uh, so
1: dogs, uh, mice, rat, uh, insect uh, will find their targets by, exactly, by following a uh, gradient. Uh, so the corn weevil flies around until he encounters one corn molecule and then two molecules. And then, you know, he vectors in on that gradient as the corn molecules get, uh, more and more numerous until he finds your corn and eats up all the corn. Uh, right. So this technology has the promise of of uh, interdicting that communication between corn weevil and corn. Uh, you could imagine this as a green pest control. If you if you figure out go you know to Archer Daniels and work with them to figure out what what gene is causing the smell that the corn weevil finds the corn with? Can we knock that out? You'd have a corn crop that the corn weevil can't smell anymore, and presumably all the corn weevils would fly over your crop and, you know, it would smell like a parking lot to them. They'd keep going. Uh, so we wouldn't have to, you know, dump corn weevil poison all over our crops. We the green way to do pest control we'll find out that corn weevils actually do something important in the in the ecosystem and they'll become extinct and we'll all be in trouble but um yeah uh, dogs do that uh you know they follow the gradient dogs have about 1000 receptors we only have about 400 uh we think mice and rats have about 1200 uh so they um uh, they can smell uh, more things just because they have more receptors. And uh, we've we've done work with all those mammalian uh, receptors. They all work the same. So we have mouse and dog nose receptors in the freezer here. But our kind of our epiphany, and we actually got started because of a DARPA program to put a dog nose in a box to detect IEDs and things like that. But along the way, I had this marketing epiphany that dogs don't have any money, that humans have all the money. And, uh, you know, as technologists, we, we love the technology, but at the end of the day, I wanted to make money. Uh, so we um, focused in on human sensory perception and uh, putting the human nose and tongue into a biosensor. There, you know, there are other things. Uh, this shows promise for uh, cancer diagnostics, for example. Uh, the lungs uh, appear to uh, off-gas uh, specific biomarkers depending on what malady you suffer from. Uh, yeah. So there are 19 chemicals that are associated with uh, testicular cancer, for example. Uh, All of which can be detected by one particular receptor, uh, OR51E2, and um, you know you could envision uh, using our essence chip in a clinical setting, having someone, uh, having the patient breathe onto it, and being able to say you have you have prostate cancer, you have breast cancer. Uh, There there's there's pretty good data and and studies now that show uh breath diagnostics can detect a um, wide number of cancers, uh, diabetes, uh, even Parkinson's. It's amazing, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, very it, good. Uh, um,
1: the whole, whole world opens up once you can measure the physical phenomenon. And, you know, we've been able to measure the, uh, you know, r- our visual uh, system, uh and our auditory, our touch, but uh, smell and taste were the last two sentence, senses to be scientifically understood. It wasn't. It really wasn't until the late 1990s when two uh, researchers at Columbia University, Richard uh, Axel and Linda Buck, uh, really elucidated how these senses work. And uh, were awarded the uh, 2004 Nobel prize for that. Uh, so, you know, relatively recent, uh, understanding of how they work and, and until 2013, 2014, um, it would have been just impossible for us to do what we're doing. But by 2014, we felt that the biotech environment had, was just racing ahead so fast that, uh, we gave up our day jobs and started Aromex.
0: Well, that's great. Well, well, Chris, I mean, there's a lot more to cover, but we are out of time. What's the best way for listeners to find out more about your essence ship and what you're involved in? Website? Where's the best place to go?
1: Uh, Yeah, the website, uh, com.
0: Okay, very good. Well, Chris, thanks for coming on the podcast and I appreciate your time. You have been listening to Almost Here,